crowns, and, a, and on his head a blasphemous name. You may be seated. In our series from the book of Revelation, we're up to Revelation chapter 13. And Revelation chapter 13 is somewhat unique because we're going to have a mention of two different beasts. And the chapter is going to end with the mention of an odd number. Because of the material here in chapter 13, we're going to divide this lesson into two parts. We're going to look at beast number one tonight. And then in two weeks from now, we're going to look at the other beast and the mark of the beast. First, a story. The story is told about a king that was somewhat eccentric. He wanted to pass on his kingdom to one of his two sons. The problem was he couldn't decide which of the two. So he decided that he would have his two sons participate in a horse race. And whoever's horse lost would receive the kingdom. Now, those two sons, they didn't trust each other. They thought that the other one would probably run his horse slow. So they both went individually to the king's trusted advisor, asking, what do we do to make sure that we lose the race so we can win the kingdom? The trusted advisor gave both sons just two words. But I'm not going to take those two words yet. I'm not going to give you those two words just yet, but don't you think it's strange that a king should decree that the loser wins and the winner loses? As a Christian, it should not really surprise us because, uh, you know, that's not the way our world works. And yet there is such a king in heaven. His name is Jesus. And he tells us that the losers at least the way the world looks at it, that the losers will inherit eternal life, not the winners. The early Christians needed to hear this. And so do we in 2022. Um, with apology to George Lucas, the empire strikes back, okay? Now, if you notice, if you look there, you can see just faintly in the background the Roman Empire. Because that's what we're talking about. The Roman Empire is going to strike back with a vengeance. And it's going to be tough. Now, before we get to that, let's return to the real world. Do you feel like a loser sometimes? Then this message is for you. Let's look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. 
Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. The sea represents the world, worldly things, having seven heads. Now, seven is perfect, right? But this is fake perfection. This is not real perfection. The beast wants to make it look like he's perfect, but he's not. He has ten horns. Power. Ten. Signifying power. And on his horns, ten crowns. But these, this word is not Stephanus, the victory crown. This is diadema, the crown of worldly kings. And on his head, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leper. Think of a leper. Think of speed, quickness. Alexander the Great in the Greek Empire was famous for their quick military moves. And that's how they conquered so much of the world. His feet was like the feet of a bear. Think of the Medes and the Persians. The strength of a bear in his mouth. The crushing force of the mouth was like the mouth of a lion. Think of Babylon. The dragon, that's Satan. The dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, keep in mind, Satan doesn't have any real power. Satan doesn't have any real authority. Only what God allows him to have. And he gave what he had to this beast. What's going on here? What is this beast? Well, Daniel, back in the book of Daniel, gives us a clue. He had a, a similar vision, which he describes in, in Daniel 7. Now, in Daniel 7, it's four different beasts. Now, in Revelation 13, all these beasts are kind of combined into one. But back in Daniel 7, the first beast was a lion. The second beast was a bear. The third beast was a leper. The fourth was like the one here in Revelation 13. We're talking about the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, the Greek and the Roman Empire. What is this beast? It's the Roman Empire. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. In a few moments, we're going to look at all these emperors. And they died. But even though the emperor dies, the empire continues. It bounces back. And even though the empire had its losses, especially against the Parthians, the empire kept on bouncing back. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. What is this first beast? Well, the second beast is going to be religious Rome. The second beast is going to be all the false religions of Rome. 
This first beast is the military Rome. It's the government Rome. And both of those are represented by the emperor. The emperors who oppose the church. The Romans were certainly dealt setbacks. As I said, especially with the Parthians. But the Roman Empire will not stay dead. The Roman Empire will strike back. So Christians beware. The empire strikes back. The empire will strike back with a vengeance unequal in the history of the world. And a lot of that vengeance gets directed toward the Christians. Let's pause our Bible study for just a little bit of a history lesson. Between 30 A.D. and 311 A.D., a total of 54 emperors ruled the Roman Empire. Let's look at a few. The first empire-wide persecution was not until Decius, years 249 to 251. That's true. You see, he was the first one that instituted a persecution that went from the height of Rome down, even down to the little villages. Before that persecution, which was intense, came mainly at the instigation of local rulers, albeit with Rome's approval and urging. Nevertheless, some emperors did instigate focused persecution, especially in the city of Rome and Roman provincial cities in the empire. Let's look at the very first one, Nero. Nero, 54 to 68, he was a crazed man. He was a cruel empire, uh, emperor who blamed the Roman fire that he wanted to gut to build new. He blamed that fire on the Christians. But then there was a 13-year gap. A 13-year gap where Christians had a little bit of persecution, but not anything that they couldn't handle. But then you had a guy named Domitian who came in in 81 A.D., he was the emperor that Pliny called the beast from hell, who sat in its den licking blood. He was the first emperor to officially call himself God, the Lord. But then we have a two-year gap. And once again, things settled down, got a little bit easier on the Christians. But the empire strikes back. It strikes back with Trajan in 98 AD. Now, he was the emperor who achieved the last major conquest. You probably don't recognize that country, do you? You know it, Charlie. It's Romania. The last major conquest for the Roman Empire was to conquer the country we now call Romania. How do you think it gets its name? Romania from Rome. Trajan was the first to persecute Jews and Christians separately. But when he died, we have a 44-year gap. Things settle down. Gets a little easier for the Christians. But once again, the empire strikes back. With who? Marcus Aurelius. 
161 A.D. Now, he was actually a philosopher. In his reign, he fueled major anti-Christian hostilities. How did he do that? With literature. He wrote... His men wrote papers and books and distributed them out through the empire. And it was all against the Christians. But then he dies. And we have a 13-year gap. And the Christians can relax again. But guess what? The empire strikes back again. With who? With a guy whose last name is Severus. Not Severus Snape, okay? That's a different person. Severus ruled in 193. He at first was actually friendly to the Christians, but changed in 202 AD with an edict. He published an edict that actually forbade any type of Christianity in his empire. But then we have a 38-year gap. Once again, Christians can relax. It's not as bad. But then we have the guy that I already mentioned, Decius. He promoted polytheism. He strongly opposed Christianity. He was the first emperor, as I've already mentioned, to institute an empire-wide persecution from one end of his empire to the other end of his empire. He required citizens to have a certificate of sacrifice to the gods, to be able to make a purchase in the markets, to be able to carry on trade, to actually work. And then there was a two-year gap. Then Valerian came in in 253, and like Nero, he blamed the Christians for the empire's problems and woes. And there was a lot of problems and woes back then. But then we have a 24-year gap. And once again, after that 24-year gap, the empire strikes back. Diocletian, in 284, he led the great persecution. He wanted to wipe out Christianity once and for all. He increased the military, get this, to over 500,000 men. And when they were not fighting wars, the military persecuted Christians. Surprisingly, his wife, Prisca, she actually looked favorably at Christians and, and may have actually believed in Jesus. Now, there was a struggle for the throne. Eventually, the official successor, Constantine, he ended the great persecution edict in 311 A.D. and officially recognized Christianity. Now, why did we go through all that history? I wanted you to notice the peaks and valleys of persecution, those gaps. It would be easy for the Christians, when they're in a gap, to think, okay, it's all over. We can relax. Everything's going to be great for us now. But every time a gap would end, and the empire would strike back. Watch out, Christians, the empire strikes back. It did back then. 
in Rome. And the devil strikes back today with us. The early Christians needed to hear this. And so do we. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The devil wants to trick you. The devil wants you to uh, be lulled into a sense of false security. The devil doesn't want you to be on guard against him. He wants you to put your guard down. And that's what he does. He tricks us. The devil's empire will indeed strike back. But as believers in Jesus, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. Because God's power is far greater than the devil's power. George H.W. Bush was our country's representative at the funeral of Soviet leader Brezhnev. And there at the funeral, he observed something that was quite, well, quite odd. Because where he was seated, he had a view from the corner of his eyes of the casket. And he could see the body of Brezhnev inside that casket. And the funeral was a typical communist funeral. No mention of God. No songs. Just commodist rhetoric from all the speakers. But as is their custom, before they would close the casket, the widow has one opportunity to go back up to the casket and say their final goodbyes. And as Bush watched the widow of Brezhnev, he noticed what she did. Without saying any words, she took her hand, her finger, and drew a cross on the chest of her dead husband. You see, even in cold, communist Russia, there was still a knowledge of Christ. Just a few years later, the whole Soviet system came crushing down and the Iron Curtain was gone. So don't fear any earthly power. Don't be astonished at the world. Don't marvel like the people of the world because God's power is greater than any earthly power. Amen, amen. Instead, if you want to win in the end, wonder at the power of God. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. Stand in awe of His might and worship Him alone. Don't worship any earthly power like the world does. Verse number 4. So they worshipped the dragon, that's the devil, who gave authority to the beast, that's military Rome, that's civil government Rome, that's the emperor. And they worship the beast saying, well, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The Roman Empire thought they would never ever end. The Roman Empire thought they would stand for all eternity. They did not stand. 
they fell. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is not forever. This is limited. 311 A.D. is coming, Christians. Just hang on. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwelled in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Roman Empire controlled all, basically all of Europe, almost all of Europe, controlled all of northern Africa, and controlled most of the Middle East. They were truly in charge. All who dwelt on the earth will worship Him, whose names has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The powers of this world often oppose the people of God. And, and they may seem to be victorious for a time, but their time is limited. Instead of fearing the devil, we should fear, respect, and obey the Lord and only the Lord. When Teddy Roosevelt was a little boy, after one particular Sunday, he refused to go back to worship service. He said he was afraid. Well, what are you afraid of, Teddy? The zeal. The zeal is going to eat me up. What is the zeal? Not until his mother went to the Sunday school teacher and found out what chapter they had looked at that Sunday did she understand. They had studied John chapter 2. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And Teddy said, I don't want to be eaten up. I'm afraid to go. Folks, do you know we should be afraid of the zeal of the Lord? Because hell is real. Thus, we should love and obey the Lord in order to escape the punishment that awaits the disobedient. Do you realize what we have here tonight? What we have here tonight in Revelation chapter 13, we have the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because those people there in first century Roman Empire, they had the gospel. Just like we have the gospel today. God, God wants to do some awesome things in our lives this year. This is a new year. And, and God wants to use us in some awesome ways. But we've got to let Him do that. So let's quit playing church. Let's quit worrying about those who oppose us and what the world says. And let's utilize the power that we've got. I'm talking about the power of the gospel and the power of God's love. If we want to win in the end, if we want our five this year, our personal five to win, 
Don't marvel at any earthly power. Instead, worship God alone and wait for Him to act. Persevere. Persevere until the Lord comes through. Endure until Jesus gets the victory. Keep on trusting God on no matter what happens. Because God always wins in the end. Verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Does that sound familiar? It should. We find that same verse all through chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. As John was writing on behalf of the Lord to those seven churches of Asia. We need to hear what God wants us to know. And what He wants us to know is we win in the end. No matter what the world may say. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention to what you have. God says in verse 10, He who leads into captivity, for them back in the first century it was Rome. They were leading people into captivity into jail. They shall go into captivity. The roles are going to be reversed. He who kills with the sword, who's that? That's Rome. Must be killed with the sword. It's going to be roles reversed. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. The other Christians needed to hear this. And so do we today. Because we can look around and see what's happening in Washington and get disillusioned and discouraged. But guess what? What happens in Washington doesn't affect us eternally. We win. No matter what the world may say, we win. In other words, verse 10, the captors will become the captives, the killers will be killed under the judgment of God. During the peaks, remember we had those peaks and gaps? During the peaks of the persecution, Satan and his followers, they seem to win. But in the end, they lose big time. Friends, no matter what you're going through, no matter what problems our world may present, hang in there. Don't give up. Persevere because in the end we win, even though it looks like we're losing right now. And I'll be honest with you. It does sometimes look like we're losing, but we're going to win. God has promised that. Now, story of the old dog that fell into a farmer's well. An old stray dog fell into an abandoned well that a farmer had on his farm. He looked down at that well and he saw that dog and he thought, well, how can I get that dog out? Oh, that's just a, that's just a stray dog. It doesn't really matter. And, and I need to fill in that well anyway because it's kind of dangerous for kids and a, a child might fall into it. So he went and got his shovel and started shoveling dirt into that well. And the first load that fell onto the dog's back, you know, he kind of, what happened there, you know, that dirt falling down on him and it knocked him down. But he shook it off and took a step and stepped up on the top of that new dirt. 
And then the next shovel came in and he kept on shaking it off and stepping up on the new dirt. And what's happening? No matter how painful the blows or how distressing the situation got, that old dog fought panic and just kept shaking it off and stepping up on the new dirt. And it wasn't long before the dog, battered and exhausted, stepped out triumphantly over the wall of that well. What he thought would bury him actually benefited him. Why did God allow the persecution in the first century, the second century, and the third century? Why did God allow the persecution that's in the book of Acts, the Jewish persecution on the church? God could have stopped it. He could have, but it would not have been beneficial. You see, that struggle that the Christians had against the Jewish people of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, the struggles that the early Christians had against the Roman Empire caused the Christians to gain strength and be stronger. It's like, it's like taking that cocoon, that cocoon, and instead of letting that butterfly emerge from the cocoon, you help him by opening up the cocoon and you release him. And in so doing, you have actually signed his death. Because that butterfly who had, did not go through the struggle of getting out of the cocoon, that butterfly will, will die. You see, the things that we have in our world today causes us to build up our faith. It causes us to be stronger in the Lord. And yes, it causes us to grow. Remember the king at the very start who wanted to give his throne to one of his two sons, the one who owned the slowest horse? The king's advisor gave those two sons two words of advice to ensure a fair race. Did anyone figure out what those two words were? I'll give it to you right now. Switch horses. Switch horses. And that's exactly what God has done here. That's what God will do for us. He switches horses. He turns the table so that His people always win. Even when it looks like they have lost, we end up winning. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. I urge you, get on the winning team. God's side. Even though it looks like we're on the losing side, at least from the world's viewpoint, get on God's side. Trust Christ with your life, even though it might temporarily bring captivity and death, because in the end it brings freedom in life. Obey the Lord. Once again, God's simple plan of salvation, it's up there every time. Just to remind you, as a Christian, you need to seek forgiveness. The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. If you have any need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement. All things are ready, come to the feast, come to the feast.